Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, November 7th, we are studying Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 27. Right worship and right living go hand in hand for Christians. Israel's injustices in the days of Amos were directly related to her idolatrous worship, and the Lord is not going to ignore that, nor will he leave it unpunished. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Luke Zimmerman. Pastor Zimmerman serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you much. It's good to be back with you. Pastor Zimmerman, as we begin to look at the text today, give us some context in the book of Amos. Where have we been that's leading up to this point today? Sure, that's a good way to kind of uh, pick up here. We've already seen chapter 5 is, well, let's just say things kind of get ratcheted up here, (laughs) and not in the way that you would want to be if you were an Israelite, or perhaps maybe we might say, in a way that would be shocking to an Israelite. Um, We always think of like Israel, of course, as the nation that the Lord Yahweh favors. But now we're seeing the Lord, as he's seen a little bit all all through Amos, you know, bringing these statements of of displeasure, disfavor, um, statements where he's pointing out, you know, where the people are going wrong, uh, using Amos the prophet as his voice, as his messenger to bring that. And we have looked at a real, well, a real shocking statement in uh, the beginning of the chapter where we've got, you know, the, the Lord pronouncing a dirge or a lamentation over Israel and saying, it's, it's going to go bad here. It's going to go real bad. Um, really just like leaving only like a tenth of the people around. Um, really just, you know, bringing Israel down. But there's reasons why. And, and I think that's always important for us to, to understand. Um, we don't have the Lord bringing judgment against people as just like a, as, as if like he got up on the wrong side of the bed. Um, he's just like fickle and he's just in a bad mood. But rather, he is directly pointing to the people of Israel where they have gone away from the righteousness that he had laid out, the standard of righteousness that he had laid out in his law. And so some of that was, you know, in the way that he spoke about what the elite people were doing um, in their justice system. And that's kind of what we see in the verses kind of just a little bit previous to what we're going to study today. Um, talking about all these offenses that people were doing. Um, You know, if someone would speak the truth in a criminal or a justice proceeding, the people didn't like it. Um, You've got the elite people levying all these heavy taxes on the poor and looks like you're going to starve out people. 
you've got judges or leaders taking bribes. Um, and, and as everyone kind of looks around it, even some of the people who might kind of know, this is just like off, this isn't right, but they're not even going to say anything because they're, they're seeing what happens to people um, that do that, the way the elites in Israel are treating them. And so you get this like verse here, like in verse 14 and 15, again, just kind of previous to where we're going to be today in our readings, you know, that they are to seek good so that they might live instead of seeking evil. And so the Lord will be with you, which, of course, is always what Israel thinks, that the Lord is going to be with them. But now in Amos here, the Lord's talking about, yeah, I might be present, but I ain't with you. (laughs) I'm actually against you now. And for an Israelite to hear that, that's supposed to shock them so much. But the real kind of question is, is will that statement from Yahweh the Lord actually do that? And now when we're going to look at what we're going to talk about um, in our reading today, in the, in, the, in the verses we're going to be looking at today, we're going to be really kind of talking about where the Lord speaks of the worship practices going on in Israel. Which they would think, oh, yeah, we're worshiping God the way, you know, everyone taught us to do, and everything's cool, everything's right. And, and the Lord's like, uh-uh, uh, it's not right. It's so bad that I'm actually going to use the word, I hate it. And when you have the Lord speaking that he hates something, now you know you're in a real bad spot. That is not the location you want to be in. And you can always imagine what kind of reaction a prophet's going to get if, like, Amos walking up to where this worship stuff's going on in, like, in Bethel or Gilgal or these places where the, where the sanctuaries or high places in Israel might be. And he's dropping it, you know, dropping the line, uh, yeah, the Lord hates all this. Hmm. Um, that's supposed to get attention. And we're going to see where the Lord talks about his attitude towards these things. And it is just opposite of the way that in previous years, previous narratives, previous accounts of the Lord and his interaction with his people, with Israel, where he's talked about, I enjoyed these things. I had regard for these things. And here the Lord is going to drop just the opposite type of reaction to what they're doing and that is supposed to be a wake-up call but like most of amos it just doesn't really wake up the people ultimately i like the way that you reminded us of the setting of amos here earlier in the chapter we had those names of bethel gilgal beersheba these various places where the people of israel and also judah they're they're not entirely forgotten, even though the, pro- the prophet primarily speaks to the northern kingdom, Judah's still still around. The prophet brings up these places where they're going to worship him falsely. And I, I love the image that you put in our minds there of, imagine Amos standing at those places and saying those words. Put Amos in that context. I think it's a, a very helpful thing to do, especially when we're reading through something like Amos or another of the prophets, where you get basically one long sermon, put him in those spots. And, and it really helps our imaginations come alive within the text. And and to hear those words, 
as you've said, in the way that the people of Israel would have heard them as, as complete shockers. Imagine going to church and the pastor stands up or someone from outside of the church comes in and says, God hates this. That's kind of the feeling that we're getting here. Is that, is that right, Pastor Zimmerman? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, you know, the Word of God is the Word of God. Absolutely. The Scriptures are the Word of God, but they're kind of disembodied. It, we're having the record of what the prophet said. But we have to remember, this was actually spoken live, like we may hear uh, people preaching today. And, and you can't just imagine. It's like, okay, so I came, I came to where the altar is, and I brought my sheep to be sacrificed, and I give it to the priest. And he's like, you know, cutting it apart and going to put the stuff on the altar and, you know, what's going to be burned up. And then this guy stands up and says, God hates all this. God takes no delight in all of this. God despises this. And you're going to be like, what do you mean? I mean, this is what he told us to do, right? I mean, and you have to make you think, well, why? And it's not just that the Lord will say, I hate it. But there's a reason why, and that's what we're going to kind of pull out a little bit here in one very particular verse in our section, uh, ultimately what's in verse 24, which is maybe kind of like the linchpin to kind of understanding this uh, declaration that uh, Yahweh is giving through Amos to his people. All right, so let's go ahead and take a look at the text then today that we have here in Amos chapter 5. Again, this is verses 21 through 27. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look, at, look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sikuth, your king, and Kiun, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. All right, there's the the first, or there's the, the text that we have before us today, Pastor Zimmerman. And as you said, that those first three verses, verses 21 through 23, have this just terribly shocking language that the Lord hates what's going on in the worship life of Israel. Get us started into the what the Lord is getting at here. Okay, so we've got a couple things, and I think it's helpful that we're talking about uh, the Northern Kingdom primarily, because uh, our, our listeners are probably familiar, at least somewhat familiar, the fact that, of course, uh, um, what we would have called Israel as a whole has been divided. That's after Solomon's death um, with uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, where, where the kingdoms are split. One of the issues is that Jeroboam actually establishes a new religion in the Northern Kingdom, and that's always going to be something. When you read through like the Book of Kings or Book of Chronicles, that you'll come back to, that this is a sin that Yahweh was always upset about. He, he did not want this new religion established. He had established a religion. Um, you had all the code in the Levitical um, books like Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, you know, the books of Moses that talked about 
the worship. He talked about having a sanctuary where he'd be present. And, of course, when Solomon builds the temple, the Lord says he's going to be there. Now you've got these competing sanctuaries up in the north, and that's already a problem. Okay, so just, you know, we've got to always admit that. That's, that's it's kind of a fake Yahweh religion up north that's going on that's not the way it's supposed to be. But it gets worse. <laughs> it, gets, it gets worse as time goes by because not only maybe had it started kind of badly, now it gets dedicated to all sorts of other gods and things, which you can read about in the, in the Book of Kings, uh, First or Second Kings. What you also have going on is really a disconnect between the faith of the people and the, their life that's being lived out. And so the Lord had established in the books of Moses all these different feasts. You know, you have uh, these feasts that you were supposed to keep, like um, Passover and Pentecost, the Feast of Booths. Uh, you're supposed to bring offerings at different times. You know, you have your grain offerings you're supposed to bring, your peace offerings, other burnt offerings. And those things were still going on up north, although in a sort of misguided way. But now things have turned in a way that the Lord is not even having regard for these. But the question would be like, why? It's like, well, what are the people of Israel doing? And what is their attitude towards Yahweh? What is, what is, their, what is their devotion to him? What is their love of him? And how is that being expressed? And you've got a real mess up north because you've got people who are bringing in syncretic religion where they're mixing worship of Yahweh with other gods. You've got people who might still be worshiping the Lord, believing that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and brought the people up out of Egypt. But they're really having complete disregard for the way of righteousness that he established for them. So they might go through the ritual, they might go through those sacrifices, they might go through those processes, but what do they even really think of the Lord? Uh, do they love him? Are they trusting in him? Do they think this is just something they've got to do? In fact, later, later in Amos, you'll have a complaint that Amos will bring up um, as the Lord talks about the, the rich who are like, Oh yeah, we can't wait till these like holidays get over so we can start selling again. <laughs> you know, we—that's we, their attitude towards even the ritual. And so when the Lord speaks this way in verses 21 to 23, where He says, "I hate your feasts. I take no delight in them. I'm not going to accept them. I'm not going to look upon them. I'm not even going to listen to your song." You are now seeing the Lord saying, "I'm taking a position." opposite you, against you. And this is in direct contrast to the way he spoke about people, his faithful people, who were doing sacrifices in the past. Um, you know, you will find things where, like the Lord says, you know, he had regard for Abel all the way back there in his offering. When Noah offers sacrifice, it's called a, a pleasing aroma. When the Lord establishes the sacrificial system in Leviticus, he talks about these things being pleasing to him. 
And so now he's saying they're not. So the question would be, why not? And I think we can be helped with an answer from that if you look at a very particular passage from the book of Leviticus that will help maybe explain what's going on here, um, if you're willing to do that. Sure. Yeah. Let me let me just just jump in and try to to um, sure. summarize a bit of so so it sounds like there's there's two things going on is is what you're saying here in verses 21 and through 23. On, on the one hand, you've got that sin of Jeroboam the first that has continued in the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, from its beginning to this point, establishing these two competing worship sites to Jerusalem, and, and so from the very beginning of Israel that that problem is built into the system. And so that's that's one thing that's going on, is that the people of Israel are worshiping the Lord. They're acting like they're worshiping the Lord, following his commandments, but they've actually already twisted it from the get-go. So that's, that's problem one. And then problem two is that their attitude is not correct, or perhaps better to say their faith is not correct. They're mm-hmm. going through the rituals without believing who the Lord truly is, and that shows by the way that they're living. And so there's there's really two issues going on. Is, is that right, Pastor Zimmerman? It, it, it is, but I would say probably Amos is more focused on that second one, to, okay. be, to be very honest. I, I, I think so, as we're reading this, I think, I think the focus would be on the second, and, th- and that's actually going to be really helpful and when we start to maybe apply this text in some other settings. Um, and I think that would be helpful when we get to that kind of point, to, to look at that. So even, even if they fix the first problem, which, which is important for them to fix, as you pointed out throughout the books of Kings, this issue of the false competing worship sites that they've got in the Northern Kingdom is the sin that the Lord brings up again and again and again. But even having fixed that issue, there's another issue going on, and that's where Amos is really driving us home. And I think that's where the the text you've got from Leviticus is going to to come into play. Is that right? It, it will, because it wouldn't matter in many ways. It wouldn't matter if the Israelites were doing this in Jerusalem. If they were having the same posture towards the Lord in Jerusalem that he's pointing out against them, that second kind of problem we've been talking about, their faith or or lack thereof, it wouldn't have mattered if they were doing all the right rituals in the right place. You'd still end up in that second problem. Hmm. And that's what um, the book of Leviticus in this passage from chapter 26 if our listeners would look at that, you can look at Leviticus 26, uh, verses 27 through 33, where the Lord actually talks about, you know, I've given you all these words. I've given you this, this way of life. I've given you all these commandments that are to govern how you, how you think and how you speak and how you act. Yeah. But then he says, if you're not going to listen to me, if you're going to walk contrary to me, then I'm going to walk contrary to you. And then he starts talking about, I'm going to destroy your high places. I'm going to cut down your incense altars. I, I'm going to cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. My soul 
Interesting. The Lord's saying, my soul will abhor you. Hmm. I'm going to lay your cities waste. I'm going to make your sanctuaries desolate. I will not smell your pleasing aromas. I'm going to devastate the land. I'm going to scatter you among the nations. And all you know, the, those excerpts from Leviticus there are really exactly what Amos, the message Amos is bringing here in these verses that we're looking at today. So just to, to dig into some of the, the details that are here in these first three verses and the imagery that, that Amos uses, because as we've seen throughout this book, he really paints a, a, a quite a telling picture for us. So you've got this very strong language from the Lord. I hate, I despise your feasts. So, so feasts there probably referring to those gatherings where everybody was supposed to come together into Jerusalem was what the Lord had given, right, for the, the Passover and for the Feast of Booths and the Feast of Weeks. I don't think I said those in order. It's Passover, Weeks, and then Booths, right? I, I think that's, that's the correct order. Right. So, yeah. so mm-hmm. the, the feasts are, are wrong. Um, the, the offerings are wrong, verse 22, these, these various sacrifices that would have been offered. The, the songs, right, the, the psalms, the, the music that was being played within the worship service, everything from the, from the biggest gatherings to the smallest gatherings, it's, it's all just, just wrong. And, and I think it's, it's pretty telling that in verse 22, where Amos is listing the various things that the people are bringing. You've got burnt offerings, you've got grain offerings, you've got peace offerings, you've got all these offerings. There's no mention of sin offerings. There's no mention of, of guilt offerings. The, the thought that, that they needed the blood of the sacrifices to atone for their sins seems to be missing from their thought entirely. They're not even bothering to bring those things. Um, it, it's just the, the picture here is that everything that the people of Israel are doing in their worship life is an abomination before the Lord. The things that they do think that they are doing that are right are actually completely despised by the Lord. Uh, Pastor Zimmerman, we got about just under four minutes left here on, on this side of the break. Yeah, it is interesting. There is no mention of sin and guilt offerings, and that's always kind of a question when there is a... Um, maybe an argument from silence, you know, is it, is it because they weren't there, which is actually quite possible. I mean, to be quite honest, we're, we're not a hundred percent certain what that new worship up in the North was like. I mean, we've got some depictions of it, like in the book of Kings, but you know, it's not like we have as much of a detailed um, uh, reference of it. Like we had in, um, in the books of Moses, where all these things were spelled out, it is quite possible that they weren't doing them. <laughs> and if that's the case, I mean, then you're really got a problem. I mean, it's kind of questions like, do I, do I just look at God as maybe someone who grants me uh, earthly temporal things and, and not spiritual things? In which, in which case, you know. You know, God's like the big gift giver from up above, almost like, you know, um, you know, he just doles out riches and wealth, which, of course, Israel is kind of floating in right now. I mean, it's kind of a good time to be in the northern kingdom if you want wealth (laughs) or if you had wealth. Um, Yeah, so it's kind of a question. It's like, do, do, do they understand the idea of contrition and repentance that they're their uh, 
position before God um, is dependent on his favor and dependent on him reconciling them to himself which is really what those sin and guilt offerings were supposed to do, or are they not even considering that they even have sin or guilt to even be repentant of? Which, I mean, I'd have to say, I don't think that's an opinion that has been absent from humanity in the past. I mean, I think we we do have people who kind of have an opinion of themselves of, you know, really, I'm I'm just kind of good. I'm just generally good, and and whatever is maybe not the best can be simply overlooked. Not as if I was born separate from God, and my thoughts, words, and deeds have just piled on, and I need a redeemer. I need a deliverer. I need a reconciliation. I mean, there's an awful lot of people who have held that kind of idea uh, throughout history, and to say that it might be present in the northern kingdom, I don't think is really a stretch, uh, especially the way Amos just talks about their attitudes towards all sorts of things. Yeah, to, they're seeing, I think the way you said it was that they see God as the, the big gift giver up above who just kind of doles out the good things in this life. It, it certainly seems that, that that way of thinking would have been present among the people of Israel, it, just the very previous text about the way that they were desiring the day of the Lord, thinking that that mm-hmm. was going to be some kind of a day of, of more gifts from God, um, a greater victory from God. And of course, Amos comes along and, and shocks them with the truth that it's it's actually the quite the opposite of that. It's going to be a day of defeat for them because their faith does not match up with what the Lord has given. That's what we're looking at here in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 27 on Sharper Iron. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Thursday, November 7th. We are looking at Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 27, with Pastor Luke Zimmerman of Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, prior to the break, we were looking at verses 21 through 23, where the Lord uses this shocking language that he hates what is going on in the worship life of the people of Israel. But he does not leave them without the reason why. He's going to tell them why. And that brings us into verse 24, where the Lord uses this very famous language. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Bring us into that verse, Pastor Zimmerman. What is the prophet trying to do there in verse 24? Sure. So here's kind of the question of what would bring the Lord a delight? What does he love? Now, now, 
we have to say he, he does love the sacrifices and worship that his people bring to him because we have those explicit statements made about, um, you know, considering or having a regard for his people. We have the Lord himself when he gives the instructions to sacrifice of saying, you know, these are a pleasing aroma to me. Okay, so, so we, we do have that. But it's not the only thing he says. What we want to get away from, and this is actually kind of uh, the case even our, our reformers um, have talked about in, in, in our um, Lutheran teaching documents. We want to get away from the idea that worship pleases God simply because we did the right ritual simply because we either said the magic words, the right incantation, the right invoking, the right holiday on the calendar. And because we met all those requirements, God is pleased. Because that's not really what he's setting up. Rather, the, the worship of God is to flow from our love of him, to flow from our faith in him, our trust in him. So that when we have the law of God given, like the, the books of Moses given, the, the, the Torah given, it is a whole way of life. And the Lord is saying, you know, I, I've delivered you. I've made covenant with you. I've made these promises with you. And here's the way, here's your identity. Here's who you are. And here's the way you think, here's the way you speak, here's the way you live. And you're to have faith and trust in me. And so when I say that this is good and righteous and just, you are to believe this is good, righteous, and just. Uh, because you love me, you love my declarations, which I'm giving to you. Because you love me, you love my commandments. Because you love me, you love the things that I say I love. And you also avoid the things which I tell you to avoid, the things which I declare to be unrighteous, unjust, unholy, the, the things I have no part in. And so when you look here in Amos, where you have this statement where the Lord's saying, yeah, you're doing all these rituals. And uh, you know what? Even if they were completely by the book and you were doing them in the altar area in the Jerusalem temple, there's still a problem. There's still a problem of what is your faith towards me? What do you think of me? What is your trust in me? So that real, true justice and righteousness includes all the kind of statements that God makes about, you know, how I'm to treat my neighbor. But true justice and true righteousness also will be loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and having no other gods before him. All those first table commandments that we talk about, commandments one through three. And so that the, out of this right faith, this right trust, this right love of God flows out then the correct practices which would include our worship. And when those two things are in harmony, when they're, when they're together, the Lord finds great delight in them. In fact, we should, we should say that. Um, we shouldn't you know, give our people like the opinion, well, you don't know that God likes your worship or likes your prayers when you're actually 
you know, calling on him in the day of trouble and you're praying and praising and giving him thanks and you're, and, and, and you're saying, I'm totally dependent on you and you're my only hope and trust. And so, and I acknowledge this great redemption you've given me and then, and then say, well, you know, maybe God's taken this position like Amos 5. Well, no. For a person in that situation, he would not say, I hate or despise it. He'd say, I love it. But if you're having people saying, well, I've got to do this ritual and just because I guess God says, and I just want to get him off my back, or I don't think of his way of righteousness as what is truly good and right. Oh, you might give those commands, but I think completely differently. Um, then you've got to disconnect. And there you start to see where the Lord's judgment comes against uh, people. Mm. So correct faith and practice go hand in hand, which is really what he was saying in the book of Leviticus when we look at that excerpt. If you were walking against me, walking contrary to my ways, then you've got those promises of not regarding your worship. But if they were walking in his ways, then they've got the promise that he actually hears and delivers and, and fulfills promises for them. Hmm. There's so many things that I think I could say in response to this, Pastor Zimmerman, because there's, this is really just a, a huge issue that, that we're touching on in, and, and one that, that really is very, very applicable. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll do it this way. What is Amos mm-hmm. not saying here? Okay, so one of the things that Amos is not saying is that verses 21 through 23 mean just fix the outward actions and, and you're good. That he's not saying that, okay? Um, he's not saying just fix the outward works of your sacrifices and and you'll be good. That's that's not it, right? Um, he he's also not saying though, just fix the ways that you're treating your neighbor, right? Um, when he when he talks about justice rolling down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream, he's he's not merely saying it's all about the the works that you're doing to your neighbor, the ways that you're sinning against them that you mentioned earlier from chapter five, the the denial of truth, the taxing of the poor and, and all of those things. So there's, he's not saying those, but, but rather he's saying these two things go hand in hand. And it, it all boils down to, as you said, what do you believe about the Lord? What what kind of God is he? And and maybe we even go, you know, which which religion do you follow? Do you follow the religion of the law where your righteousness is dependent upon your works and how well you behave? Or is this the religion of the gospel where your righteousness, your justice come as a gift from God to you and then flow out because of that? And so, I mean, this this really is is a big deal, Pastor Zimmerman, what we're talking about here, the connection between the faith that God gives and the life that God gives. Help, help us dig into this, because, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I really think that this is, this is such a, a big issue for us as Christians today. Sure. So one of the kind of things, I mean, if you really just want to say, if, if, if Amos is just kind of saying, well, fix your behavior towards your neighbors, um, you could have had a person in Israel, which, I mean, by this point would not be so surprising. You could have like a good Baal worshiper in Israel. Hmm. That'd be nice to their neighbors. 
you know, she's defending legal justice and, and not taxing and not, uh, not suborning perjury or, you know, things like that. Well, that would do them no good, though. I mean, that, because that false, you would have had them trusting a different God, putting a different God before Yahweh himself. Okay, so, so clearly it can't just be, um, you know, God saying, if, if I see you treating your neighbors well, that's the extent of my righteousness and justice. I would say rather the extent of his righteousness and justice is what he defines. And that's why the first and foremost kind of commandment, as, as our Lord Jesus points out, is, is having, having the love of God himself and being devoted to him and being devoted to his ways, which is devoted in the way you think, you know, in your mind, your heart, what, what you value, what you honor, what, what, you, what you cling to as good, um, with your strengths, which is, you know, you, we could even perhaps talk about the way you then behave. And it's to have him as God, the one you trust in, the one you are dependent on, the, 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 the one who made, you know, as earlier in the chapter, the one who made the Pleiades and, and, and Orion, um, the one who has created you, who has created the entire world, and then says, I've made great promises to you. I have, I have called you to be my people. And it's a choice of my favor and grace. And I'm giving you this complete new way of life that's going to lead into everlasting life. And that our hearts are to be dedicated and devoted to that. And when they are, as we talk about in the, in like the large catechism, you know, when they are devoted to him, the true love of God, which is really a first commandment issue, it will manifest itself then in the way that we use his name, which is really a worship thing. Uh, the way that we um, consider his word, you know, his holy things in the Sabbath day, which again is a worship thing. And it will also manifest itself in the way that we love our neighbor as ourselves which is really what that second table of the law does. You've got a problem in Israel here where you've got problems with both tables of the commandments being showing up. And Amos has pointed it out. He's pointed out all the problems that the elites, especially the rulers in, in Israel, are doing towards their neighbors. But, but even more important, they've got a disconnect in the right position towards God himself, the right love of God himself. Hmm. And that's, that's, that's the biggest problem. And, and when that disconnect is there, um, the worship's going to be wrong and the behavior is going to be wrong. Hmm. So Amos is, is really aiming at both issues. He's aiming at the first table of issue of what is your faith do you trust in the Lord as one who will declare you righteous because you have done all of the right rituals in just by the book? Or do you trust that the Lord is the one who will declare you righteous because blood has been shed on your behalf? Mm -hmm. and, and then yeah. the second table then flows from that, that that now having been declared righteous by God because of the blood that has been shed on my behalf, that righteousness and justice 
flows forth from me to my neighbor. I really think that's the beauty of, of verse 24 here in the way that Amos phrases it in terms of justice rolling down like waters, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, that those terms justice and righteousness, which we've seen before in the book of Amos, the, the people of Israel are completely turning everything on its head. They're turning justice to wormwood. They're they're trampling righteousness under, under their feet. The, the beauty of those terms is that it allows us, or allows Amos, to speak about both of those things at once, justice and righteousness first as a gift from God to us, and then second as that which flows out through us. And that that imagery of, of the water, the stream that's constantly flowing is, is such a wonderful one. And I, I can't help but think of God's gift of baptism to us whenever I see that sort of imagery. It's it's just this this verse I really think is a, a central verse, not only for our text here, but for much of what Amos is getting at for his entire book. What do you think, Pastor Zimmerman? Yeah, it's, it's a matter of really you have a, a kind of a fountain that is, that is, that is created in us. Um, where where this is, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, our our Lord Jesus uh, says you know something kind of similar there, um, you know, kind of a similar concept of using like the, this fountain idea, and that's in John seven, and that's when he's mm-hmm. he's at one of the festivals, and and he says, you know, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit, which is there. And, and that's what that's you know, in the spirit, of course, is, is what we're talking about. The one who creates faith, he's the fount of life there. Um, and when he does that, you know, it's, it's really creating in us a, it's something that is not there by nature. It's something that, that has to be created. By, by nature, we are not going to be a fountain. We're, we're going to be a desert <laughs> in, our, in our heart and soul and mind, um, dead. Um, as we would talk about dead in trespasses, dead in sin, like in Ephesians. Um, but there's new life created in us, new life, which is rooted in the righteousness that God himself establishes, and then also uh, the, the righteous status, which he grants to us, which is really what the, you know, the sacrifices are pointing to. Here's where the Lord says, I've got a promise that I'm putting my... Uh, righteousness and forgiveness and salvation here for you. And, and as you are trusting in me, you're grabbing that. Your heart's clinging to it. Um, and the same thing would be the case for us in the, in the New Testament when we talk about like the sacraments of the New Testament uh, and, and, the, and the preached word. Here's, you know, the Spirit is present to create faith, sustain faith. Um, but that faith isn't just like knowledge of God. It's not just like, okay, I learned a bunch of things about God, but rather is this trust that we have and this, and this real belief, of course, that by nature we have none of this. By nature we are separate from God, but he has called us to himself, and now our sins are forgiven, and we expect good things from him. And we call upon him, and we call upon him in our desperation. We call upon him in our need. We, we call upon him not just to be like, okay, g- give me all the good stuff. Just give me, you know, give me wealth, give me health, give me fame. No, much deeper things. 
give me a life that I never will have on my own. Give me a status that I'm not separate from you because of my sin and unholiness. Um, Give me a new way of thinking, a new mind, also new impulses, new, new desires to actually do what you call good. And allowing me to actually recognize that it is good, and it is now my desire. And that is just a completely different kind of attitude than we're seeing uh, described among much of the people of Israel uh, as we're reading through Amos. It, that, that, those two kind of different faith postures, different attitudes stand in great contrast. And it just kind of jumps off the page when we read the statements that the Lord is giving to the Northern kingdom through, through his prophet. Hmm. Pastor Zimmerman, we got just under eight minutes left now here on the morning. I want to make sure we have a plenty of time to, or I just want to make sure we get to touch on verses 25 through 27. Um, so, mm-hmm. so go ahead and do that. But I also want to make sure we get at least a little bit of time at the end to, to apply this to our lives as Christians today. So first, just what's going on in, in 25 through 27? Well, in 25 to 27, they're they're kind of interesting verses, and and this is what I was doing readings for for our uh, time together. You find a a bunch of different kind of ways that interpreters look at them. Um, I I think the best kind of way that you've got going on here is the Lord really is identifying the idolatry that's happening amongst the Northern Kingdom people. Now, um, the, the, the statements that they're supposed to be having him as their king, to have him as their God, um, not to create images, which is actually part of, you know, the, the, the books of Moses and, and the worship. You know, you're not to uh, make a graven image and worship it. All those sorts of things, which, which were supposed to be so fundamental and elementary to a person who's going to say, I'm a descendant of Jacob, and I have this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as my God. Those very basic fundamental things are actually missing in the Northern Kingdom. Or even worse, the opposite is being seen. And you really kind of have the Israelites being described as, as the rebellious people again, which, you know, um, any of our people who are familiar when we went through like the book of Exodus, you would have seen that kind of over and over again. And then re- once you read through numbers, you really see it. Um, it's popped up again. And so you've got these people who, instead of being dedicated to, to the Lord, are now dedicated to either, you know, like a star god or other, um, like, Akkadian deities or things like that. And, they, and they've created them as their idols. They, they've marched around with them kind of like, uh, you know, the Israelites in the Exodus moved their tabernacle around but instead of being led by the pillar of uh, fire or uh, cloud, they're, they're carrying around their images of these false gods, and that's who they're dedicated to. And the Lord's saying, you know, that's it. You're, you're going to be bounced into exile, which is really his statement of judgment against them. It, it's really like a, I mean, you might call it an anti-Exodus, it seems, there. Yeah. If you picture mm-hmm. the, the people of Israel were led out of Egypt by the Lord, and that very literally was done for them when they had the Ark of the Covenant that would go from place to place as as the Lord led. 
he's the one that brought them into the promised land. Now that they are worshiping these idols, they, they think they're following these, these images that they've created for themselves to, to bigger and better things. But in fact, the Lord still is leading. It's just that now, instead of leading out of Egypt, he's leading into exile. So it, it really ties in nicely with the imagery that Amos has developed earlier when he talked about the plagues and, and references to the mm-hmm. Passover. Once again, turning everything on its head, showing the people of Israel that you think that you trust in the Lord, but you really don't. You've, you've deceived yourselves. Come back to him. And, and maybe that, that's a good way then to, to bridge the gap into the, the application, Pastor Zimmerman. We've got mm-hmm. just over four minutes left here. As we think about our worship lives as Christians and, and the desire to avoid what the people of Israel fell into, how do we take this text and use it as Christians today? Okay. Well, the first thing is we have to talk about the, our, even our kind of definition of the church itself. We, we talk about the church being present where the gospel is preached, you know, in its purity and the sacraments administered rightly according to Christ's command. In, in the same way that you had those um, worship practices in the Old Testament established. So we do have a way of worship that our Lord has established for us. So one of the things we want to make sure is that we're actually present where that's going on. And, of course, you know, just kind of wrapping up the Reformation, uh, you know, last week, that's a good thing to be reminded of. You know, so we want to be a place where Christ is proclaimed as Redeemer and his, you know, baptisms are happening, absolutions happening, the sacrament of the altar is being given, all these things which are delivering the goods and benefits that Christ crucified and risen earns for us. So that's kind of, you, you got to have that, you know, in the, in the same way that the Old Testament believers were supposed to. you got to have the right way of worship as the Lord established. You've you got to have it. But it's not, again, as we said, that we're just in, we're all golden and good as long as we did everything by the book. Rather, the Lord, again, is calling on us to have our faith placed in him which is really where the right use of these worship things he establishes uh, takes place. We talk about this. The sacraments don't work for us simply because we have the water splash on us and have the right name of God spoken, or that we have the bread and wine and the words of Christ spoken over it, and you ate and drank, and that's all that matters. The right faith, the right trust, placing our faith in him and the promises which are delivered to us are necessary. That's how you use the worship rightly. It also then has effect. And that's what we want to say. These things are given to us to create and strengthen our faith. And faith is active and living, as we are so familiar as Lutherans, that phrase, a a very active and living thing. And that faith creates in us, you know, it it renews hearts, it it gives us new way of thinking so that we're able to do the good works that our Lord has said, this is righteous, This this is pleasing to me, this is what I want to see you, how I want to see you treating your neighbor as well. And we can't do that outside of the Spirit working in us, the Spirit which is delivered to us in, 
in that preaching of the gospel, whether it's in, a, in an oral form or attached as visible things. But it works in us and causes us to think, speak, and act according to God's will, according to what he declares. And that's what we're supposed to be seeing. If we are just going to say, I did all the rituals correctly, and I can go home, and I can do whatever I want, and I don't have to abide by like, the commandments of God, I don't have to, there's a disconnect right there. That's never what it was supposed to be. And we don't want to run into situations which will put us like in the same category that these Israelites had the Lord speaking to us like, I hate your worship. (laughs) Because if that's the statement he's making to us because of correct judgment against our lack of faith or incorrect faith, we are in a bad spot and we need to be reformed. We need to be... um, renewed and regenerated and and brought back into repentance and then having the right trust in love of God again established in us, which will manifest itself in how we consider him and also how we then act and behave towards our neighbor. Pastor Luke Zimmerman is the pastor at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, helping us this morning with Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 27. Pastor Zimmerman, thank you for your time. You're very welcome. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.